Dear Heavenly Father, again, it is with great joy that we can come together in fellowship with Thee. Do bless us now, dear Father, and give us, I pray, the Holy Spirit as our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. take your Bibles with me. I want to share a message with you. Is <clears throat> I had to put together this talk for Harlan. Um, we came together as a staff, uh, I think a year ago, and we had a special time where we <clears throat> really sat down and dealt with a lot of issues on the straight testimony and on a lot of things, you know, and we wanted to, to just sort things together as a, a, a body together at heart, and we want to make sure we were all in harmony and all together and so forth. We didn't want uh, any more divisions amongst us and so forth, and so we wanted to come up with some things as, 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 a, as, a, as I say, a collective body and where we stood on some issues, and I had to deal with a, um, a topic that they gave me called the mission of truth, and unless was, I titled it the mission of truth. And uh, I want you to turn with me, and I think here in John 17, that we see something rather interesting here about truth. You know, it's interesting how you view truth. Well, let's read these texts first, and then I'll... John 17, notice with me, please, verse 17. John 17, verse 17. It said, Sanctify then through thy... Thy word is truth... Then notice with verse verse 17, 19, And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the... Now you know it's rather interesting. We're told very clearly here in the text, it's so clear, no question about what, he, what, what Jesus is talking about, that sanctification comes through the process of what? All right, truth is the vehicle. You see, and it's really obedience to that truth that sanctifies the individual. But the truth, because it has power and, and, and holiness there within it, actually produces that sanctifying experience. But he said that, that sanctification comes through truth. Now, let me say this to you. Your view of truth will determine how you're going to be sanctified. So you see, people say, "Is it all, you know, uh, well, that's your opinion and that's my opinion and so on. Listen, truth is not my opinion. Truth is a declaration made by God that this is so and, and, and whatever. And it's not a matter of what you think or I think. You know, I keep being on, asking people and they, when they say that to me. I say, well, is, is the Sabbath my opinion? Isn't it rather interesting how they'll say, well, no, that's not your opinion. You know, that's Bible truth. But when it comes to things, the straight testimony issues, well, that's your opinion. As if, as if we cannot discern what the real issues are in regard to this aspect of theology, but we can on the Sabbath and the state of the dead and these kind of things, which is nonsense, total nonsense. If we can understand the Sabbath in its fullness, we then can understand Elijah's message in its fullness. There's no, you know, it's the same Holy Ghost that inspired both truths. Surely he's not going to hold back on the one when he, when he revealed everything there in, in the other. So how we view truth has a great part on, on, our, uh, on our sanctifying experience with God. And I tell you, you know as well as I do, that, no, that, that a person is not sanctified cannot walk into the kingdom of heaven. Paul made it clear. I made that statement last night for those of you who were there. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, he said, Following peace with all men and holiness, and that's what sanctification is all about, being holy. He said, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So we know very clearly that, uh, that only those that are truly holy, that have truly been sanctified by God, they shall see God. They shall be the ones that, as Isaiah said, uh, when Jesus returns, lo, this is our God. He has come and He will save us. Okay, so it's very clear. So truth becomes a vital issue, doesn't it? Surely it does, doesn't it? It's not something we can negotiate about, is it? Of course not. Of course not. And so, here he makes it clear. But, but I want you to know the word sanctify, let's, just a little bit. Sanctify just simply means, I mean, if you get into the original, it just simply means to be set apart for a holy use. That's why I was telling you that when Paul said that, it, uh, um, he said the following peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, when he was making that statement about holiness, that's the purpose of sanctification, set you apart to be holy. See? And so, 
that's really what, what, uh, what sanctification is all about, to set you apart for a holy use unto the Lord. But, uh, you know, I want to ask you this. Uh, here when Jesus made this statement, sanctify them through the truth, and then verse 19, for my sakes I sanctify myself, or I'm sorry, for their sakes I sanctify myself. Uh, in this sanctifying experience, who is to be sanctified? Well, Jesus clarified it here. Who was it? The subject matter of the both verses there was them. And of course he was talking to who here? And, and you know, the, the disciples. Now, today there's a much cry about unity. Great unity. Now we're in the uni, unity chapter that, that they quote a lot. And, uh, and, and, you know, to be one with the Father, all right? And we're going to be talking about that one with the Father and all the rest. But, uh, but in order to understand that, we've got to understand what Jesus was talking about, that, that truth that would sanctify us, all right? Turn with me, please. <clears throat> In First Thessalonians, because here Paul tells you what is sanctified and, or, and who is sanctified. First Thessalonians, chapter five. First Thessalonians, chapter five. Okay. First Thessalonians, chapter five. Look at me, please. In verse twenty-three. First Thessalonians five twenty-three. It says, "The very God of peace do what." sanctify you holy. And that's, that's W-H. And so, so notice what's being sanctified here. Sanctify you holy. Now what's going to be sanctified? And I pray God that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved, blameless unto the coming of the Lord our Savior Jesus Christ. Now notice here that sanctification is a process by which God preserves you blameless until the day of the coming of Jesus Christ. Now listen friends. That makes it crystal clear here. That sanctification is the process by which God preserves you holy until they come into the Lord. We can see that crystal clear right there. And what's being sanctified? What does He say? Just a part of you? Just only, only a part of your soul and body? You know, just a part of you is going to be sanctified? Is that what He said? No, He talked about the fullness of the man and the woman. He talked about the whole person there. And, and, and so God requires whole, W-H-O-L-L-Y, you know, holy sanctification. Complete sanctification of the individual. Okay? In that sense. And so there, there is to be a, a whole, in other words, a wholeness be given unto God. Everything must be given unto the Lord. All like Paul says in, in Romans chapter 12 verse 1. He said, present your what? Body, and he didn't say present your arm or elbow and all the rest. He said put everything on the altar, didn't he? That's what he was saying. He put everything on the altar. And that's what Paul's talking about here and again in Thessalonians, that, that God requires the whole person to be sanctified and holy and by his process of, of, of that truth that he's given to us. All right? Now, let me ask you this. Why then is man sanctified? Why is he set apart? What's the purpose of God? If, if, if He's going to set man apart for a holy use and He's going to set the whole man apart, why is God going to do that? What's the whole point in that? Turn with me again to John 17. Let's look at some things here. John 17. Notice what happens here. <clears throat> there are two things by why God is going to, going to set man apart. Alright? John 17. Look with me please here. In verse 18. John 17, verse 18. Now in verse 17, he talks about sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now right after that, right after he talks about sanctifying the individual, right? He then goes on to describe their mission. Watch. <laughs> As thou hast sent me into the world... Even so, even so, have I also sent them into the world. Now listen. God said He would sanctify His people in order that they might be sent into the world. Now He didn't say be sent into the world to be part of the world. Let's not misconstrue the words that Jesus is talking here. He's simply sending them out. As God sent Jesus. So God now has to sanctify His people... And sending them out there. And so that's what he, he's doing there. But I want to just know something here. 
Why is God going to be sending us out there? Now notice he says, why is he sending them into the world? What's the whole point of sending God's people out into the world? All right, now look with me in John 17, verse 22. All right? And um, after he talks about being sent into the world, that was what they were supposed to do. And then verse 22 says, and the glory, now notice that word, the what? The glory which thou hast given me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Now notice what he says here, that the reason why God sent him into the world was to, he talks about what? Glory, God's glory was given unto them. Now there they are being sent into the world, and here they are to be glory, give glory. And you know that reminds me of Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7, the first angel's message says, Fear God and give what? But where is that going? Because in verse 6 it says, I, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach to them that dwell on the earth, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and... Now that's what it said here. In verse, in verse um, um, 20... Um, well, verse 18 said they were sent into the world, right? There's verse 6 of Revelation 14. But then in verse 22, it talks about giving glory. That I gave, I have my glory, I'm giving it unto them. And so God, in His sanctifying man, setting Him apart for a holy use completely, sent Him into the world for the first thing to do was to give God the glory. And of course, we know in Exodus 33 and 34, what does glory represent? Why, it's God's character, isn't it? Sure it is, it's God's character. And so God sent man out there in a sanctified state, remember, it's, it's, sanctification is nothing more than a, uh, a, a process by which God preserves you holy, blameless, unto the coming of the Lord. And there, God sends them out there to give glory, to reveal and manifest God's character. You see? Now, this is all in the process of truth back there in verse 17 and verse 19. That sanctifying experience that God's people would have. But notice the second point with me. Notice the second point with me in giving God's glory. Notice me in verse 18. Again, he goes out and he says this. He says, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. Now, we just talked about going out and giving glory, manifest, revealing the glory, character of God, His glory. But it also has a second point in this when it talks about going out into the world. Because if you carefully look at Revelation 14 again, they were to do what? Not only reveal the glory of God, but it says they were doing what? They were preaching the everlasting gospel. So there is a twofold aspect in, this, in, in, in the manifestation of God's uh, glory, character. And then there is the proclamation of the message. The last warning message to a dying world. And, and that's one of the reasons why God sent His people out there into the world. It's not out there to entertain the world. We're out there to manifest and vindicate God's character. But also at the same time while vindicating God's character, why we're going to go out and preach a message to the world. And that's the process by which God, He said, he, that's the reason why He set them apart. He set them apart for that reason. To send them into the world for a twofold reason. To reveal and vindicate God's character and to preach that gospel message that is to be given to the world. Now, you see, these two concepts, these two concepts actually fulfill the whole law. Do you know that? Because in vindicating God's character, I'm actually loving the Lord thy God with all my heart, mind, body, and soul. Really? But you see, in me, in, in giving the proclamation to the, to the world, I'm actually loving my neighbor as myself. You see, and really in the totality, in the whole fullness of the sense, you're actually obeying the law of God when you do those two things. Really, in a sense, and, and that's what it's bringing out. So they're, they're vindicating God's character, loving Him with all their mind, heart, body, and soul, which is the first commandment, really the summing up of the four, I should say, the first tablet there. And then, of course, going out and, and, and bringing others to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why, that's loving your neighbor as yourself. And so there's the fulfillment of the whole law out of those two things. Now, let me ask you this. How is God going to bring this about? How is God going to bring about 
this purpose that he it's his desire in, in a setting man apart for this holy use of give, vindicating his character and also in the proclamation of the gospel. How is God actually going to accomplish this task? I want you to look with me in your Bibles to John 17. Stay right there because we're going to look at a lot of things in John 17. Okay? Notice what he says. How is God going to do this? John 17, verse 19. He said, And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. You see, that comes down to us, doesn't it? The preaching of the gospel, see? Goes on to say this, verse 21, That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. The glory which thou hast given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, thou in me, that they may be perfect, or may be, I'm sorry, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them even, uh, even as thou hast sent or hast loved me. And so here Jesus clearly, clearly brings out in several of the verses what is vital for the disciples in order that when they go out and sent, or are sent into the world to vindicate God's character and preach the gospel, what is vital to, do, to, to that? He talks about what? Unity. He talks about oneness with the Father, doesn't he? Father, as I'm one with you, so I want them one with one another. All right? And he said on the basis of that, the world would know that in their vindicating God's character and preaching the gospel that, that, that I've, I've been sent and that you love them, Father. You see? But it was all based on that unity. Now, let's talk a little bit about unity, all right? There's much talk about it, so now we need to stop right here. And I want us to understand this. Now, everything, sanctification, is it comes through what? Truth. All right, so truth really is the, is the beginning pin, if you really want to put it this way, right? You've got truth, sanctification, right? The whole person... Right? Then you've got, you're coming down, the whole person, what for? Why did God sanctify the person? What? To send them into the world. Two reasons that fall under that. What? Vindication of God's character. Proclamation of the gospel. Right? How is God going to accomplish that? Through what? Unity. You see, if, if, let's face it, if we're not unified, how can, we, how can we vindicate God's character? You can't. Imagine me and my brother here sitting here and arguing amongst each other, but we love, we love Jesus. <laughs> I mean, we're not even vindicating God's character, are we? How can you have hatred against someone and say you're vindicating God's character? You can't. Are you preaching the everlasting gospel? No, you're not, because it says fear God and give glory to Him. So you can't do those two things unless you have true Christian unity, right? Now, all right, now we come down to unity. Let's talk a little bit about unity. I'll ask you a question. Um, <clears throat> heard a fellow say one sometime to me. He said, We can have unity without unison. And he was talking about unison of beliefs and doctrinal key. And position, what he was talking about was really uh, certain present truth positions and, and doctrinal beliefs. Now listen, can you really, really have unity, true Christian unity, if you have divergent or di, diversified views of uh, doctrinal key positions and key doctrines and so on. Can you have unity? No, I haven't seen it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right, right. Neither have I. I haven't seen it yet either. Can you? But see, here was the statement, the reason why the young man made this statement to me. Because there was, uh, over the issues of present truth, and he said, well, you see, but we can still have unity even though we may differ in our beliefs. I said, brother, I said, I can still love you and I can still care for you and pray for you. And I, and, I, and I should be willing to die for you. You know, all these things, right? You know what I mean? All these things could be avail still available, right? But he said, oh, no, but in reality, I said, you and I could never stand on the same platform. I said, because we have two different platforms. How can we unite? 
You know, remember what Amos said? Remember the words of our pro the prophet Amos? Can two walk together? Come on, you finish it. They be what? Agreed. You see, unison, unity is not possible unless you have unity of truth. Are you following along what I'm saying here? You see, that's why Jesus said all of this was based on that unity. But unity, remember, it's always worked down, we're down a little bit from our sermon a little bit, but you go back to the starting point was what? Truth. So really, it's unity based on what? Truth. On truth. And you see, some people actually think that you, we can have unity in the church today and still have uh, 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 different views of, uh, of, of, uh, of um, truth. No. Absolutely not. There will never be unity until we first unite on the only thing that can bring unity, and that's truth. You see, that's the means by which you, you are united. It's truth. Listen, what brought us all together? Why, it was the truth in Jesus, right? I know, I've never met some of you people. You know, I mean, who would ever thought here, I, you know, an American and all this, I would ever come to here to this country and meet you. But you know, truth brought us together. You know that? Really? That's really what brought us all together. But it's unity in that truth. Let me tell you, if I didn't believe the way you did, would you invite me over? No. Of course not, right? You see what I'm saying? I mean, when you say, hey, good, raise a good fort, I get him. Oh, I better be careful. I'm not. But, um, but you know what I mean. We, we, we would have never, and I wouldn't invite you. You know, that's the really. But you know, because, hey, look, like fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we believe the truth, we're united. And we have unity, don't we? And that's what Jesus was talking about. Having that unity. Unity. And, and I say, you know, again, it can never happen. It can never happen except there be truth. You know, there's a classic statement of the great controversy about the Waldensians. Where they were talking about the, the, the changing of the Sabbath. The papacy had changed the Sabbath. She said this was one of the reasons why they had separated from the, the Catholic fold. They were leaving, you know, they were going out and, and, and separating themselves. They didn't want to contact with them anymore. Essay, because they had changed the Bible Sabbath. But she goes on to talk about how they were guarding their children from the influence of the papal doctrines and teachings and so on. And she said that they were crying out, uh, the, the other churches, you know, Rome was trying for unity, unity. And, and they said, she goes on to say this, she said that unity, if it meant the sacrifice of the principles of truth, she said that the Waldenses refused to have, wouldn't have unity. She said rather it would bring them to the point where they would rather have, she says, quote, division and even war. If it meant to give up truth, they were willing to have division and war. Now, that's a really strong statement. I mean, they were willing to hold on to truth no matter what. And you see, why though? Because the truth is the key upon which the whole platform is built. I mean, you step off the platform of truth, brethren, and sisters, and you're in the platform of error and darkness. And so that's why Jesus made it crystal clear here on this point. Now, God's going to accomplish this through the task of, um, of truth. But I also want us to realize something here. You know, even while truth unites, it does, doesn't it? There's no question. But you know what else truth does? There's a function to truth. We are talking about this before. You see, truth, we look at truth in its, in its aspect. It brings that unifying power, a sanctifying power, I should say, to God's people. It does. It brings that sanctifying power, which preserves us blameless until the coming of the Lord. And so it, it preserves us in that position. But, but in that preserving God's people, it brings them into a unifying a bond, you see, in a unity. Because they're standing on that platform of that truth. But you see, truth brings unity, but also truth does something else. And I want you to turn with me to Malachi. Now I want you to look at, with me here. Okay. Malachi chapter 4, notice with me verse 5. He says, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the... All right, now, I'm going to stop a little bit here. It's just about Elijah coming. All right, we're going to talk about the aspect of truth now. 
Truth has a twofold function, at least within this part we're looking at. Here we're looking at the unity. We've already seen it. It would bring unity. But the second point is simply this. And we're going to look at this right now. Here Malachi talks about Elijah to come. And, and if we look at Elijah, we go back and look at the Elijah message. Elijah's message here is known as the straight testimony, right? You know, I mean, you can title it straight testimony, Elijah message. But it's talking about the same essence of that message. And Elijah's message was, how long halt ye between two opinions? The Lord be God, serve Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. And so it brought out a straight testimony message. And I want you to notice something. That truth not only unifies, but it also causes separation. Did you know that? It divides. That's why he was saying, how long halt ye between two opinions? See, he cut down that middle, that, 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 that middle road kind of lifestyle that they were living. He said, how long are you going to do it? And he said, simply, he... Went right down, he cut them right down the line. He said, You gotta walk one side or the other. You see, truth divides. You either God, bail. And truth makes you make up, you have got to make your decision. You see, truth, it's a rather interesting thing when you come face to face with truth. I mean, cold face to face with the reality of truth. You know, at that point in time, you gotta make up your mind, bail or God. You know, you may not think bail or God, but actually, in essence, that's exactly what you're doing. Because you've got to ask yourselves, Where am I gonna go? See, truth is making you face the reality that you've got to do something. You see? And truth divides. It separates the wheat from the tares. Notice with me, please, in your Bibles, um, Matthew chapter 10. I want to show you something here. Matthew chapter 10. And I want you to listen to the words of Jesus on this about truth, the Word of God. And of course... Um, look at this with me, please, because I'll show you a little more clear on this on these passages. Luke, or, Ma or Matthew, I'm sorry, did I say Luke? No, Matthew, Matthew chapter 10, please. Look at me in verse 34. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, Think not that I am come to give, what, to send peace on earth. I come not to send peace, but a... And, and they said, and they blame us for being troublemakers. <laughs> Why Jesus said, look, I didn't come here to bring peace. Now, in the context of what he meant by that was peace in your sins. Okay, because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. But he only gives us peace when we surrender our lives to him. Only peace can come then. Okay, and so Jesus was trying to help the disciples and, 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 and the uh, Jews see this. He said, think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I come not to send peace, but a sword. A sword. Look at me, verse 35. I'm not come, to, he says, for I am come to set a man at variance. Well, that's a strong word, isn't it? Isn't it? Variance? What do we mean when we say variance? What are we talking about? Not agreeing. Division. At odds against. I'm at odds with you, oppose, you know, that kind of a thing. That's what he's saying. I strong language. Look what he says. For I'm not come this he says, For I'm come to set a man at variance against his father, and daughter against the mother, and the daughter in law against her mother in law. A man's foe shall be they of his own household. You see, when truth comes in, you see, when truth comes in, it does bring unity, but it brings unity only to those that are standing on the platform of truth. But if it be another individual who is standing on a platform contrary to what God's word has plainly told, when truth is preached, what will happen? God will send that sword. We're going to talk about that in a moment. He'll send that sword and will it bring peace between us? No, it cannot. It simply puts us at variance. I'm at odds with him. Why am I at odds with him? It's where I'm standing that determines where I'm at odds. You see, it's the truth of the matter. And so look at me, again, we'll look at another text in Luke, because Luke puts it even stronger, in stronger language. Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, here Luke is recording the same thing, and I want you to listen to what he says. Look at this, Luke chapter 12, please look at me in verse 51, Luke 12, 51, Jesus says that this is the same thing recorded in Matthew. Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth? I tell you nay, but rather what? Division. Now, 
This is even stronger than what Matthew said. Remember Matthew said, Jesus said, he said, think I'm going to send peace? No, I come rather what a sword. Now here, Luke records, he said, um, you think I come to send peace on this earth? He said, I tell you no, but division? That's a strong word, division. That's what it meant about a variance. He goes on to say this, For from henceforth, from this time forward, there shall be five in one household divided. Three against two, two against three. The father shall be divided against the son, and the son against the father, the mother against the daughter, and the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against the daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now you see that? But that was all based on what? On the sword, right? Come on, are you with me? You follow along? You see what I'm saying? He said, I didn't, I didn't come to say peace. I came to bring a sword, right? That's what he says in Matthew's account. Luke says, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring division. Therefore, that sword is going to divide. Right? It's as simple. So that's why he used it there in Matthew. Okay? So the sword then becomes the means upon which Jesus is going to divide. Set people at variance, right? My question is, what's the sword? It's the word. Remember what Paul said in Hebrews chapter 4, 12? Thy word is what? Like a two-edged... Two-edged sword. not a one-edged sword. I was telling people, and I don't remember where I was at. I think a West Virginia. There in the United States. I was telling them I had a weekend revival there. And I told the people, I said, you know, and I was talking about Hebrews 4, 12. I said, you know, I said, this says this is a two-edged sword. And I said, if you've ever gone and looked at some of the old, old swords... Back, of course, in America, we don't have, we can't go too far back. But, but uh, back in the Civil War in the 1860s, there the cavalry, you see, had those swords, and, and they were razor blade sharp. Boy, I mean, they would just, just, just whittle your leg off real fast. You know, they were razor blade sharp. But that was only one edge. It was only one edge that was real sharp. And I said, now listen, friends, the Bible makes it clear that God has a sword, but His is two edged. I said, it would have been bad enough to have been cut with one edge, but God said, I'll cut you with both. See, the Word of God's two-edged. Two-edged. It cuts both ways. It doesn't matter where you go. I told him, I said, you know, it's amazing. Sometimes you can try to run away from truth, but no matter where you turn, you get cut. You know, because it's two-edged. It goes both ways. It goes both ways, see? And so here, he makes it clear that, that the word that sword he's going to use to divide is the Word of God, Right? But now turn with me, turn with me to John 17, because look, look what it is. I'm coming back to where I'm going to go at, John 17. Because what is it that is going to bring the division, the separation between the wheat and tares? John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so again, come back to the truth, see? That's why I said truth has twofold aspect. It brings unity, but only to those that stand on that truth, it brings unity. But those opposed to the truth, the truth will divide you. Okay? You see? And so we, we need to look at that twofold aspect of, of, of truth. Unity, division, separation between the wheat and tares. You see, it's, it's, it's bringing unity to the saints, separating them from the tares. It's just that simple. And that's what he's talking about at here. Now, this separation, I want to look at this. You know, the separation occurs really um, two ways. When we're looking at this, it really occurs in two ways. You know, whenever you get truth in light, or whenever it's preached, let me put it this way. Whenever you preach truth or truth is preached, the separation between the wheat and tares happens in a twofold aspect. Now I'll show you. First, there is a separation spiritually. Okay? Now, for example, we have all go to church with, you know, that, believe, that people do not believe in the present truth message. We are, we are aware of that, all right? All right, but our, now watch. We're separated how? Spiritually. All right, you follow along? We're separated how? Spiritually. But are we separated physically? You see what I'm saying? Are we? No, because we still go to church, right? You see what I'm saying? So, so the separation has a twofold aspect to it. One is the first thing that takes place is spiritual separation. There's a spiritual separation. And that's the platform issues, you see, because it's where you're standing on that platform of truth or from error. And so quickly you have a separation spiritually. 
You know, it's amazing. I'm sure we've all had friends, and, and I remember you telling me, you know, good friends and people who've believed in the truth, and all of a sudden, uh, for one reason or another, we don't know why they embrace error, or people that you were good friends with, and, and all of a sudden the truth pres was presented, and you embraced it, and they didn't, and instantly, instantly, friendships that have been for years, and you've been close uh, friends and, and, and for, for, you know, I mean, you, you would thought that you would rather die first before you lose your friend. But as soon as truth comes and boom, instantly, you're separated spiritually. You, it's as if you don't even know the person anymore. You try to talk and you can't. You try to have fun with one another, you know, with friendships, you can't anymore. You see, so there's a spiritual separation that occurs. But then there's the ultimate. There's the ultimate separation. And that is literal. Literal separation that actually will occur at the end of time. When the ultimate shaking takes place, where there will actually be a literal separation in the church. Where the tares are going to go out and the saints will stay in in a unified body. And the, the tares will literally leave. Literally. As if I'm going to walk right out of the room. That's the honest truth. Because we're told, listen, the great controversy. And again, I'm going to come back to that passage. She said, I saw a large proportion of those that had believed, had faith in the third angel's message, abandoned their position. Now watch. They now all the while, now look, here they are. This is apostate God's people, right? They're still in the church with God's people, right? Sure they are. So there's, you know there's a spiritual separation. But now here comes the last part, and that's the literal separation, the physical separation. A large proportion profess faith in the third angels and abandon their position. And now watch, there's the spiritual separation. And join the ranks of opposition. That's literal. You don't, it's, it's going to be, you're going to see them join the ranks of opposition. And why? Because it's all built on the platform they stand on. They're actually going to join the ranks of opposition. And I tell you, it'll be just divided. Just like that. The saints over here, the wicked over there. And it'll be that in that sense. So there's a literal or there's a spiritual separation that occurs within the, within the church. Then there is a physical, literal separation that will actually take place at the end. And Jesus himself said, you know, remember if you read Matthew 13 very clearly, he said, bind up the tear. And then he said, gather the wheat unto my barn. See, so there's that, again, that talking about the separation. And again, you'll find the same thing in Revelation 14. But the great harvest principle, angels going down to reap. And, and uh, talk about, the, you know, the grapes of wrath there and, and so on and all the rest. And so it's very clearly indicated there, right? Now, these, this is what takes place in, 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 in this unity because, you know, often we, we hear these things, you know, that, that people, you know, you bring division. Like I was accused today, you bring division. You bring, I said, I don't bring division. I said, I, you know, I said, listen, I said the real things that really bring division in the sense, I said, when truth meets apostasy, I said, it's the apostasy that divides. You know, in that sense, you see, because the apostasy uh, cannot bring unity. See, people think that you can have unity in pluralistic views. And again, you go back to the unity of uh, uh, verses in unison. You cannot have unity with pluralistic concepts of, uh, uh, of, of truth or what you think is true. You know, we call it cafeteria theology. You never, you know what I mean? You're, you're like, like uh, uh, what do we call it? A smorgasbord, right? You know what I'm talking about? Walk down the aisle with your tray line and, and oh, I like the peas and I like the corn. I like broccoli and I like, you know, whatever. And then the next guy says, well, I like corn and I don't like peas and, you know, the rest. And say, well, that's all right. You can have whatever you want. Just pick whatever you like. And if that all makes you happy, that's great. Listen, you know, there's no such thing as cafeteria theology. Uh, you know, the Bible doesn't teach it. You know, again, you go back to Ephesians 4 verse 5. It says, one Lord, right? There's only one Lord. How many faiths? There's only one faith. You know, I met with a friend of mine years ago. When this is why, actually, I wasn't even a Christian. I might have just joined the church. I wasn't even sure. But it was very, I was going to evangelistic series. And, and I was just sharing. I didn't know anything. You know, I'm just sharing with people the, the things about the Sabbath, you know. And I met a friend of mine, and he was a Baptist. And I said, man, this is great. You ever see this, man? This is pretty neat. You know, about the Sabbath and all the rest. And, and he said, and he looked at this paper I had given to him. Because I, I didn't know how to witness. I didn't even know what to share out of the Bible. I just gave him the information I had received and just gave it to him. <laughs> and he said to me, he, you know, he looked at me. He just kind of put the paper back at me, you know, flicked it back at me. He said, um, he said, ah, he said, this is one-sided. 
And you know, I didn't know what to say at the time. I was kind of like, you know, like, you know, you know, I, you know, I didn't know what, what to say. So I went home and I thought about that, you know, because it just kept bothering me. This is one side and this is one side. And you know, I've come to the realization, you know, he was right. You know, he's right, really. Because you see, truth only has one side. Right? Am I right? right? Truth is truth. You can't turn truth and say, you know, and make it multi-pluralistic. Uh, you can't do that. Truth is truth. It only has one side. But you see, it's error. It's error that has many sides. And that's the problem with Christianity today. They want a, they want a pluralistic theology. You can't do it. Truth is truth. Listen, Saturday is the Sabbath, whether you like it or I, or, or, or I like it. It doesn't matter whether we agree or, or disagree, whether we want to keep it or not, Saturday will always be the Sabbath. Truth is truth, you see. And, and that's the way it is, but people don't want that. But, but see, it's all very vital. Coming down to truth. You want unity in the church? Do you really want unity? Then stand on the platform of truth. You'll have unity. You walk off that platform, you'll have division. You have separation. And truth will do that. Truth will bring it in when it comes in like a sword because it separates the wheat from the tares. And like I say, that separation has a twofold aspect. There's a spiritual, you know, and we've all experienced, at least I have, I've experienced that, you know, good friends of mine, you think, wow, what's happened? And what's happened is I've accepted truth and they haven't. And it's just that separation occurs. And then inevitably... And if I'm willing by God, or if I'm by God's grace, if I continue to walk with the Lord and are faithful to Him and follow in His footsteps, you know, I'll continue to walk with Him in that sanctifying experience whereby uh, He'll prepare me for that, for that glorious return of Jesus. And uh, there'll be an ultimate separation, the wheat and the tares, on that point. But I want to talk about something on this point, uh, coming down, some other characteristics of truth. And this is something I want us to look at very carefully. <laughs> How do you determine whether something is right or wrong? Now listen to what I'm saying because this, this is an issue again in the church. How do you determine whether this is right, this is wrong? On the basis of what do you determine and make your decision between right and wrong. Okay, um, that's right. We right. Let's. Um, I'm gonna go back a little bit to teaching in in this. In in um, be, try to be very specific in the nature of the question or the answer to the question. In this sense, you're you're in the you're in the area. You're right, but relative to the topic we're covering tonight. How you, let me ask you this. Do you determine right and wrong? Do you determine right and wrong by uh, popular consensus of the public? You see, I'm, you're getting, you, you watch, where I'm, watch where I'm going to take you in a moment. How do you determine truth? Or, or tr do determine right and wrong? You know how you determine it? Truth is the only thing to tell you what's right or wrong. Nothing else can tell you what's right or wrong. It's truth. Thy word is true. You see, the only thing that can help you and I to see right and wrong is by truth. You can't do it any other way. Now, some people think they can tell right and wrong by popular consensus of the public. Why? That's right. Well, they'll say, they'll say this. Well, um... How can he be right? The majority say, you know, the majority aren't following along. You ever heard that one? Come on, we, in South Supporting Work, we hear it a lot. How can you be right? Why, the whole church is against you. So, why are they basing right and wrong upon? Now, this is why it's vital to understand what I'm saying. Where are they basing right and wrong on? On the basis of what? It's consensus of the public. What do you think? I don't think it's right. What do you think? I don't think it's right. What about you? I don't think it's right. How about you? Yeah, I think it's right. Well, three against one, they must be right. <laughs> yeah. Right? You think I'm kidding? Yeah. I, I, you're right, I'm not. You're right. And, but I tell you, that's what is happening in the church today. Why the majority? They get a consensus. How can all these be wrong? 
So you're outnumbered, you can't be right. See, they've got a wrong premise they're starting from, isn't it? Right? They're starting on a wrong false premise, isn't it? Sure they are. Where should they be standing from if they want to know right and wrong? Really, true way. It is on truth. Right? It's on the truth. That's where we need to stand. Amen? That's where God is calling us as a people. And, and I pray, really, that we'll look at these things and, and, uh, and understand that this, this issue of truth is vital to the, I mean, to the salvation of mankind. It's vital to the salvation of mankind. You can't do it any other way. You cannot have unity unless you have truth. You cannot stand, uh, uh, you cannot tell right from wrong unless you're understanding truth. You know, your concept of truth will determine how you're going to be sanctified. And I tell you, that's a scary thing when you realize it. Because only sanctification comes through truth. No other way. And sanctification is the process by which God preserves you blameless. How long? For a moment? Just, just an hour a day? No. He says He can do it until the day Jesus returns. You see, you and I can live without sinning. We don't have to commit one known sin ever. Never. You realize that, don't you? It's a rather strong statement, but that's reality. Because Jude 24 says, Now unto him who is able to keep you from... He's able to keep you. And we're told that He's able to do abundantly above all that we could ask or... Can you imagine that? More than you could ever even think in your mind. God's able to keep us from sinning. But it all comes on that truth. But I want to say this about truth. You see, truth never stands alone. Did you know that? There's somebody that always accompanies truth. And I want you to look at this. Ephesians chapter 4, 15. See, truth has a partner. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 15. Ephesians 4. Verse 15. But speaking the truth, how? In love. Ah, in love. You see, truth never stands alone. You see, love is its partner. Truth and love go together like righteousness and judgment, the law and the gospel, justice and mercy, truth and love. You see, that's what we need, brothers and sisters. We need the truth in love. And only when we have truth in love, God will separate you for a holy purpose. He'll sanctify you, keep you preserved, blameless until the coming of the Lord, that He may send you into the world to vindicate His character, to preach the everlasting gospel to a dying world. Thus, by doing these two things, you are actually fulfilling the whole law. How is God going to do this, accomplish this task? Well, He needs what? Unity, doesn't He? He has to have that unity. There can no way it can be done without unity. But now, how is unity going to be accomplished? Unity where? In the truth. In the truth. And remember, unity... There'll be a unity in the truth, and the truth is the Word of God, and so truth of that Word brings unity, but also it also brings what? Division. Division. Truth brings division in that sense. It cuts people apart in that sense. But it brings us down to that point where we need the truth in love. And when we as God's people truly, earnestly seek the Lord, for the truth and love. I tell you, brothers and sisters, we're going to vindicate God's character to the fullest extent. We're going to preach this message and nothing will stop us. As Paul, Jesus himself said, not even the gates of hell shall prevail against us because the church will conquer the gates of hell. You know, it's interesting there when it talks about the gates of hell. There it's talking about the fortified city. You see, the gates, was that an offense or defensive uh, weapon? <clears throat> It was a defensive weapon, you see. See, God never intended His church to be on the defensive. He always meant His church to be on the offensive. You see, we were always to be on the offensive. But there's coming a time. You see, now we're, we're getting the devil's having a heyday with us. But there's coming a time when God's going to bring a 
unified people on the platform of truth, sanctified and holy for the Lord. Where the time will come, they're going to turn this thing around and they're going to march to the city of hell and literally take it down. And the gates of hell won't take us. You know why? Because the second angel's message is Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great, it's the city of hell where the gates of hell are. God's people will conquer Babylon, destroy it, and bring it to naught when we have the truth in love and you're united on the platform. Amen, buddy. That's right. Amen. That's right. That sword of the Spirit. How many here want to be standing on that platform of truth? But truth in love. Do you really want to be a part of that? If you do, why don't you stand with me for closing prayer? Father in heaven, what a great joy it is that we can come together and worship Thee. Father, we're so thankful for the truth that You have given to us as a people. Please, dear Lord, help us to treasure it above all things. Dear Lord, help us to have the truth in love. Help us, Lord, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and to walk the path of self-denial and that we might learn the lessons that Jesus would have for us. Oh Lord, we want to be in the spirit of unity, but we know that unity cannot come unless we stand on the platform of truth. And so Lord, we see the vitalness of having the truth. And so Father, we pray that you want to enlighten our minds and hearts that we might not only attain to a knowledge of truth but experience the truth thank you so much for your goodness and mercy I want to pray for all my brothers and sisters here tonight that you be with them in a special way bless their families and friends and dear Lord especially I pray for your church oh Father forgive us where we have fallen short have mercy on us dear Lord Plead and pray that you would cleanse us and purify us, Lord, that we might be a church without any spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That we might stand in the fullness of the, of the, uh, of the love of God. Bless us now and keep us as our prayer. And thank you again, Father, for the Sabbath and for the beautiful, sweet blessings we are receiving this day. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.